And then he just started moving my hand back and forth like this. And I cried. No, I didn't actually cry, but it, it hurt so bad. And I kept telling him, Jeff, I think you're killing me. And he said, well, you have to do this. He said, this other tendon, not the one that I ruptured, but this other tendon has been sitting still, no activity for two and a half weeks. He said, you have to move it around. You have to do some things, and it's not ready for it. It's not used to it. But he said, it's like a rubber band. It'll stretch pretty quick and easy. And then he started doing it again. He said, see, it's already better. I was like, no, it's not. It's not better. So I'm supposed to do everything that I would normally do with an arm. I'm supposed to do it with this arm, except anything that has resistance. So I need to move it all over, but I can't pick up a pencil. The only resistance can be gravity. So, so I can do this all day, and he wants me to. He says, act like you're working out, like, like you're lifting weights, but you're doing it with just your, your um, arm. Now the other stuff. Thank you, ma'am. It is hard for me. I was trying to make noise while I was drinking. Could you hear it? It is hard for me to make noise when I drink. My wife makes horrible noise when she drinks. Like a frog or something. I don't know what's... It drives me crazy. And I tell her, do you really have to do that? Does, is that the only way you can get the water down your throat? Is And she says, yes. I miss her like crazy. She's been gone now since uh, Friday... Friday or Saturday. She's in El Salvador. Yeah, I have a surgery. She's like, I'm out of here. But, um, yeah, so she's been gone. She did. So, so I think I said it Sunday, but all of my family is gone. Um, Isaac's in Texas. He's been in Texas for about a week. He had two friends that had... Um, uh, weddings like four days apart so he went to do that and then Emily left Monday morning to go be a youth sponsor for the youth group like you've been out of youth for two years and now you want to go back who does that especially when I need you but didn't matter so my Bible's not coming up but I know where we're going here go to my notes first all right I want to I want to look at something we're just going to walk down through the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And this is kind of in the uh, frame of thought of, um, of uh, what I was talking about Sunday. So somebody tell me what I was talking about Sunday. Who listened? Huh? No, you're, you're all around it. I just didn't use that term. And we'll let you, Anna, because Nikki was horribly wrong. No, she wasn't. What'd you say, Anna? You got to yell. I can't hear you. Babe. What'd she say? Fear the Lord is part of it. Okay. Um, how do we look at um, society and the things of society and, and, uh, and um, um, what's the word? Culture. How does culture do this, Mike? What things are sacred within those contexts? And... Um, you know, there's a few things, and it's getting worse and worse nowadays, but it's, there's a few things 
that even in, in um, just having church nowadays, just, just any church in town here on any given uh, weekend, there are certain subjects it's very difficult for the church to address because society will push against those and say, I just can't deal with this. I have a friend of mine pastors up in Fort Collins. He pastors a mega church, thousands and thousands of people, almost 10,000 people. In, in their central location, they've got 15 or 20,000 in their other locations combined. But, but he said a lady came to him um, after service one time, her and her, her girlfriend, and said, um, why, why are you attacking the LGBT community? He said, I don't know what you heard, but I'm not. She said, yeah, you said that um, homosexuality is a sin. He said, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. She said, yes, you did. He said, I read the Bible. I read the scripture that said these things. And he opened the Bible and read those scriptures to her. She said, yes. So you're saying homosexuality is a sin. He said, no, I can't define what's a sin and what's not a sin. I'm a human. Humans don't define that. He said, but this is what it says. I have to read what it says. This is the Bible. This is what we believe, right? And she said, well, I don't believe that. And her and her friend turned around and walked away and said some things to him and turned around and walked away. But um, he was talking about that. I think it was a couple years ago at our district council. He was talking about this. And he was talking about that it's, it's just becoming difficult. If all you do is just read the Bible, you're challenged. When it comes to what's sin, what's not sin, what's right, what's wrong. I mean, through this out, I think I only said this in first service, but here's one of the challenges that I have as a pastor is knowing these are the things they say, but how do we really, how do, we really de- de- do this in our life? How do we really develop this in our life? Now, if you're not careful as a Christian, you'll say, well, you just do it. If the Bible says it, you just do it. Okay, so this is what I said first service. What, what do we do with scriptures that talk about that is, now let's take adultery out of the picture, okay? Let's just say marriage in general sense without adultery. It, it says that if somebody divorces their spouse and marries somebody else, they're committing adultery. That's what it says. So you say, well, just, just take care of it. Just do it. Just, that means they're never going to get married again. So, so is that the answer? They never get married again? Is there a forgiveness? Is there grace? I mean, I, I do believe I have answers for this. But you understand what I'm saying is you can't, you can't get away from the fact that the Scripture will affect all of us negatively if we're not careful. It's going to. When you go to Galatians chapter 5 and you look at those list of sins there, um, those, are, those are challenging things. Because every single one of us in this room are, are affected by and are guilty of things in that list. Every single one of us. So, so at some particular point, we have to make a decision. And, and this is the key, is you have to make a decision on a personal level. Or I'm going to follow you, regardless of what I see or don't see, what I like or don't like in Scripture, I'm going to follow you. And if I come across something in Scripture, and it says do this or don't do this or whatever, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be obedient. And I can tell you that's, that can be challenging. It's not as, um, well, now, I believe it is. I believe it is cut and dry. I believe it really is um, black or white. I don't think there's a lot of gray in Scripture. But I think how our culture approaches Scripture pushes a lot of gray into it. And we have to start processing. 
what does this mean or what does this mean or how do I deal with this or how do I deal with this? Okay, so with that and looking at how uh, community and how culture and society and and um, uh, politics, uh, all these kind of things, how it affects all these subjects, you're going to have to deal with it. I had a, a very long conversation with um, my son uh, recently, the one in, in Texas, and, um, and he was basically saying, and I get what he was saying, but he was basically saying the church shouldn't have anything to do with politics at all because it ostracizes the lost. I said, okay, I agree with that at some level. Um, well, I don't agree with that at all, kind of mentality. But I agree, it's not the church's job to get involved in politics. And what I mean by politics is um, whether a road gets paved or not. That's politics. Whether taxes get raised or not. Those are politics. And I don't think that the church has a has a place in that. I don't think it even. I don't think that that's a church subject. This is why Satan has brought moral issues into the political realm and made them political subjects. That's why something like um, abortion is not a political subject. That is not a political subject. That is a moral subject. And by the way, if you just want to discuss this with people, they say, well, you know, you need to leave, get out of the politics of abortion or whatever the case is. You understand that for abortion to be political subject, it, it should have been voted on by the legislative lawmaking body of our country. It was not voted on by the lawmaking body of our country. It was, it was um, enacted against our will by the Supreme Court, which is not the lawmaking body of our country. It is the judicial body of our country, which is the ones that um, uh, back up the laws. They're the ones who, what am I saying? They make sure the laws happen. Uphold the laws, enforce the laws, okay? They don't make laws, except our Supreme Court nowadays has become a lawmaking body. They make laws left and right. And they're the ones who did this. But this is not a political subject. And, and there's going to be times when, as Christians, we're going to have to answer the question or address the subject. And this is what I was talking with my son. There are certain times when you're going to have to answer the questions. When somebody says, what do you believe about this? You can't, if somebody says, what do you believe about abortion? The answer is not, well, I don't get into politics. Guys, that's not the answer. You understand, that's a cop-out. That is not a political subject. Now, if they say, what do you think about taxes? Say, ah, it don't matter. I mean, if you feel strongly into what you want to answer, answer. But that's not a moral subject. It's not a spiritual subject. And that's where we have to be able to say, wait a second. If somebody says, well, what do you believe about sin? And they can name a sin to pick any sin out there now that has political ramifications to it because Satan has done that. If you just say, well, I don't get into that. Can you, can you really say that? Think, think about what I'm saying. As a Christian, can you really say that, Tom? Well, you've got to be careful with that, too, because government um, legislates morality all over the place. Uh, well, they have to. No, no they, I understand what you're saying, but, but they actually do. Without thinking about it, they actually do. Um, 
something like speeding, they're legislating morality. Um, making it against the law to rob a bank, they're, they're legislating morality. Here's the understanding that, that we seem to miss when it comes to abortion is the government has already legislated morality in the subject of abortion. We believe murder is wrong under, under all circumstances except one. If a woman wants to murder her own baby, it's no longer wrong as long as she does it before it's born. The day after it's born, she'll go to prison for it. But the day before it's born, that one is, is even becoming more challenging, um, she won't go to prison for it. And so we already legislate morality. If I, if I kill somebody, I'm going to go to prison for it. That's morality that is legislated. Okay, the, the, we do not, anarchy says you don't legislate morality. What happens is, is we've allowed the debate so long to be, you can't tell a woman what to do with her body, um, that now we say, well, they make, everybody makes their own decision, like you're saying, Tom, but we have to be careful with that, because if you let everybody make your own decision, well, where does that stop? Am I allowed to murder somebody? That's my own decision. <clears throat> and it will continue to degradate when that happens. We never, society will never move more morally when we let society make its own decisions, which is anarchy. Society cannot make its own decisions. We must legislate morality because society will constantly go worse and worse and worse, and it'll, we can rob anybody, we can do whatever. Okay? And the only thing you have to look is, is across the nation in certain bastions of liberalism where that has been allowed to happen, morality gets worse and worse and worse uh, to the detriment of the common man. Okay? Some of the, some of the cities that are, that are called... Um, um, refuge cities or whatever, sanctuary cities. Here's what's happening, and we're seeing this more and more. There's a case right now in, in California where a guy that had been put in prison three or four different times and specifically for murder had been let back out and was being, and was being uh, um, protected in this sanctuary city. Well, the concept is, is they're saying, well, you're, you're sending people back to their uh, to their. Um, home country, and that's not right. Okay, whether you believe that or not has nothing to do with a convicted murderer being protected in a sanctuary city because he's from a different country. That literally makes no sense. But because they have to draw a circle and say, well, a sanctuary city must include everybody, because why? The moment you start choosing one person and say, well, this guy is a murderer, he's got to go back to his own country, then you're doing the same exact same thing that the people are saying, build the wall. You're doing the same thing. You're choosing somebody doesn't get to stay in this country, because why? They broke the law. His just happens to be murder. So this is why they say, well, this guy can be protected. And it doesn't matter what he's actually done. They've taken a stance that they say, we legislate, okay, this is my verbiage, but they're saying we legislate immorality. We legislate that you're allowed to break the law, and now the federal government is coming to some of these cities and saying, we're going to put this governor in jail. If you're going to break the law, I'm sorry that you think this is okay. It's still a law, and until it gets changed as a law, you're going to have to go to jail. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because why? Morality is always legislated in the country as a body. Now, your personal morality can never be legislated. You understand that you can't legislate morality into somebody. What you're doing is you're legislating the boundaries with which they have to abide by or they're punished for it. 
You're not actually legislating morality into them. You're legislating morality in saying, if you don't abide by this, you have to, whatever, go to jail, um, be penalized, fined, or something else. And that's, our country is built upon that. And that's why, even, even on the immigration thing, and I, and I go back and forth on the immigration thing, because this, this is my deal with the immigration thing, is I love the fact that America is a melting pot, and I love the fact that America is, is full of people from all over the world. But here's the, here's the problem that I have. And, and this, is, this is where the morality side of it comes in. And, and by the way, I've had this discussion with, we, we had a bunch of people in our last church, a bunch of people in that area that um, were from South Africa. They were Afrikaners, and they, uh, they, there's, a, there's a bunch of them that come out into the, uh, um, the uh, northeastern kind of section of Colorado over there to become farmers and stuff like that because they were farmers in, in South Africa. And they, a lot of them are doing it illegally. And, and many of these people are Christians, and they, they started coming to our church, and we had quite a few South Africans in our church at one particular time. And, uh, and so I sat down with them all. I, I brought them all to my house one night for dinner, and there was like 30 of them. And I said, okay, I want to talk to you guys about something. I love the fact that you're in America, and I love the fact that what America stands for, that you can come to this country. But how many of you are here illegally? And almost all of them, three or four of them were legal, and most of them were not. I said, guys, at some particular point, as a Christian, you have, a, you have an obligation to do it the legal way. You have an obligation. Just because it's a law. Now, if the law gets changed, okay. If you can help change the law, it's fine. But as long as it's a law, you have an obligation to go by that law. So, I went down to ICE, and we got a bunch of uh, applications, and I sat with these guys for almost a full year and filled out applications, did all the stuff. Um, they went through the, the I stuff and got them all legalized within that year. And, and every one of them said the same thing once it was all done. Th- that I was, that when I said that, it got into their head and their mind, their spirit with this. Breaking the law is breaking the law. If you go rob a bank or, or, you, or you're illegally in the country or whatever the case is, breaking the law. And so I, I do believe that there is an obligation on a moral side for these kind of things. What do we do with the moral side of it? There, that's where my, where my balance is because there is no America without people from all other countries. There is no America, unless you're an Indian, which I am partly. So, But in, unless you're an Indian, there's, you're not from this country. But at some point, we have to go by laws. That's what laws are. And so, guys, that's where at the end of the day, the rule of law is what keeps America as America. And here's the thing. As a Christian, I am obligated to those laws. Here's another big one that that hurt. Here's another big one. I got it. Don't worry about me. Here's another big one that gets me sometimes when it comes to um, Christians. I know Christians. Now, this is not as common up here in Colorado, but it's very common down in the south and specifically in the area of Texas that that, uh, Lynn and I were youth pastors at in our last church, um, Deep East Texas. There's a lot of um, redneck mentality down there that says, I'm not going to pay my taxes. Stick it to the government. I don't care. I'm not going to pay my taxes. But guys, morality, my moral code as a Christian says, Jesus specifically said, you got to pay your taxes. Now, I struggle greatly as, as a Christian paying the amount of taxes that I do and knowing for where it goes. 
Now, as a person, as a capitalist, I hate taxes. As a Christian, I hate the fact that it funds things that are ungodly things. But at the end of the day, that was what was happening in the Roman government too, and Jesus said, pay your taxes. And there was a lot of ungodly stuff going on. And I have this conversation with Christians all the time. Well, I'm not going to pay my taxes. Then you're breaking the law. And as a Christian, you are obligated to obey the law. Unless the law specifically attacks your walk with the Lord, you, you have to obey the law. I'll give you one that, that got me years ago. This doesn't affect you as, unless you are a minister. But this is one when I first got in ministry. This was 1990. Youth pastor of a church. My, I come in one day and my pastor puts a piece of paper on my desk. He said, sign this. I said, what is it? And he said, it's to opt out of Social Security. I said, what does that mean? I'm 20 years old. I didn't even, I didn't even know I paid Social Security. I, I didn't have a clue. I'd always worked for hourly wage until he hired me, and then I took a huge pay cut so I could be salary. So he, he says, this means you won't have to pay Social Security. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you're paying, I don't know, $70 a paycheck on Social Security. I don't know. I don't have a clue. Probably wasn't that much. He says, you're paying this much on Social Security right now. And I said, I can opt out of that. I just choose not to do it. He says, as a minister, you don't have to pay Social Security. I was like, sign that, baby. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was signing. About four or five years later, I'm actually looking at this and reading it. And it says that as a minister, I conscientiously object to the moral concept of paying Social Security. And therefore, I opt out. I was like, I don't morally object to paying Social Security. You can't. As a Christian, you cannot morally object to that. Nowhere in Scripture can you get a good foundation for that. But almost every minister I knew was that. So around that time, uh, IRS made an, op uh, an opportunity to said, for the next three years, you can opt back in with no back pay, which was huge because I would have had about five or six years of back pay, Social Security. And so I just opted back in. I've been paying every since. When I've talked to a lot of ministers over the years, they say, oh, I don't pay Social Security. I said, so God told you not to pay Social Security. What? In his word, he said, thou shalt not pay Social Security. Because you're being dishonest if you're doing it. If you're doing it for the financial reasons, that's not what it says. It says that you morally object to it because of your Christianity. I had to get back into Social Security. Guys, there's a lot of things, there's big ones, there's small ones that we as Christians have to deal with when it comes to morality. We have to deal with these things. We have to deal with stuff that we know God's Word says this is not okay. What do we do with that? We have to deal with it. Something I mentioned Sunday, I don't remember which service, I don't know if it was both, but something simple like the Scripture says that gossip is a sin. How many... How many of us as Christians in today's society really process that? I mean, really process that. I, I may have told this story before, but this was, this was when I was a youth pastor, and there was, there was um, some people in the church that absolutely hated me. They, um, it was a fairly large church. We had a large youth group, all that kind of stuff. We were doing good work. Things were good, but these people hated me, and I, just, I don't really know why. But um, there was two families that, that hated me like crazy, and so... One day I was over at uh, some people's house for lunch on a Sunday afternoon, and, and they were board member of our church, his wife, and they had a couple little kids. And um, 
the phone rings. He goes over and picks up the phone. He listens for about 10, 15 seconds. He says, wait, let me stop you there. He said, my ear is not a trash can. I'm not going to let you fill it up with trash. He hung it up. Came back and sat down at the table. You know, nobody's saying anything. But you, you can't just let that go. I said, I need to know. What was that about? And he said, I normally wouldn't tell you for the same reason I said that to them. He said, but I think you need to know this. He said, this is this family in the church. And, and he was a board member. We knew that this stuff was happening. He said, that was that family in the church, and they were calling to complain about you. I was like, you go, boy. Um, that's one of the few times over the years where I've seen somebody just, and, and these people were good friends. In fact, they were related to him at some level. It's one of the few times in my life where I've seen somebody just stand up and say, I'm not going to be a part of that. Guys, this is one of those things in society today that, that it's just part of us. It's just part of us. We talk about people. Think about, think about the stuff that we really honestly need to make a conscious decision about and say, God, I'm going to do what your word says. I'm going to do what your word says. And it's not going to be easy. And I may lose some friends over it, but I'm going to do what your word says. Those are, those are challenging things. Now, you don't have to be a jerk about it. And this is where I think sometimes we cross the line is we, we, you know, we come out spiritually swinging. Somebody says something casually, you're like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And you're right in the middle of Starbucks or something. And, and, and you know, somewhere you have to use some wisdom and, and, and um, uh, just some, some grace and some mercy in certain things. But to truly say, wait a second, God, I'm going to follow you above everything. Rick, can you hand me that Bible? Well, if you, if you want to say good things about me, you are welcome to, even if the Lord thinks it's gossip. I don't, I don't get that enough, so let's just go to, let's just say, yeah. So, okay, so let's discuss that a little bit. What is gossip? Or, or, you, or that's what your goal is. To me, if somebody's gossiping, they're actually tearing themselves down too, but that's not the way, that's not the way people look at it. Okay, so, so this is one of the things that um, I actually ran across recently, not here at the church, is this is in a total separate thing that I interact with and, and have done some things with. And so I had to say some negative things about somebody um, I was, in, I, mean, I was in a leadership position. I had to say some negative things about somebody because of the uh, work performance or whatever. And somebody said to me, well, I'm not going to be a part of this and you're saying negative things. So is there a place for that? 
I was in charge of this thing we were doing. I was put in charge of this, and this person worked for me. I have to say negative things sometimes. Yes. Um, so I think there's a few goals, not just one goal. One is, is the overall improvement of the person. But sometimes the overall improvement of the organization overrides the overall improvement of the person. Because sometimes the person can't be improved within that setting. You may be able to give them some things that they potentially can work for, but they may still have to leave the organization, right? Because at the end of the day, the organization has a responsibility for whatever, making money, accomplishing a task, whatever the case is. Um, but I do believe, and this is something in, in any kind of work, in, in ministry work, secular work, whatever, in any kind of work setting, if you're a boss, I think you have a responsibility to both of those. I think you have a responsibility to, to a person. That's a human. You have a responsibility to lead them and guide them. And here's one that becomes challenging, is I think you have a responsibility to make sure that you are, are doing what is best for them, including directing them, disciplining them, guiding them. Sometimes we think we're being good leaders by never addressing things in people's lives. Well, that doesn't help anybody. That's a negative. You're actually, you're actually just being selfish at that point because you just don't want to rock a boat. It's your responsibility as a leader to address things in people. So is that, is that what gossip is? I don't think so. What? Um, sometimes you have to talk about them to other people too. Now, here's one of the things that I think is important. Uh, let me take right here in our own church. If I go to our board and say something about one of our pastors, it's not okay for me to do that if I haven't talked to the pastor first. Because then I'm, I'm not even giving them a chance. I'm undermining them. I haven't even, I haven't even said anything to them. Right? There, there are times when that happens, but guys, I think for the most part, and even though this person I was talking about, again, this is, this, this is not here at the church or anything, this person I was talking to, they just kept saying, well, that's, you, you, can't, you can't say negative things about people like that. And I finally told them, you are on this board too. You are the boss of this entire organization. Put your big pants on and start being a leader instead of this goofiness that you're calling leadership. Well, you can't say negative things. You're wrong. Sometimes you have to say negative things. That's what leadership is. And if you're scared of that, don't be a leader. If you cannot honestly critique somebody, don't be a leader. It doesn't mean it's easy or fun, but it is necessary. You have to be able to do that. There's a difference, and I think most of us in here would immediately recognize, there's a difference between you're sitting in the break room talking about somebody. There's a difference. Right? Talking about a coworker, talking about a boss, talking about whatever. There's a difference there. I do think that there are, are some places that you need to be able to. Oh, and if I'll say, I'll come back to our, our, our pastors here. One of the things that I tell our pastors here is, is um, there's going to be times when I do or say things that irritate them, they don't think is right or fair or whatever. They have the right to sit with their spouse and tear me into little pieces and shred me 
I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that's a sin. Okay? Just make sure it stays there. Right? Because you guys understand, if, it, if, it, if that was heard by somebody else besides the spouse, now I have an obligation to do something about that. Right? Which is not fun. But I do the same thing. I've said the same thing to board members. Go home and talk to your spouse. Now, here's a, here's a way our church works that's a little different than some. I have no problem whatsoever with a board member talking to a spouse about everything that happens. There, there, are, there are churches, there are organizations that say, no, what we talk about in this board, you cannot talk about to your spouse. If I was a board member in a church and they said, do not talk to your spouse about anything we ever talk about in this board, I would resign from the board. I don't, I'm not going to be on a board like that. I need to be able to talk to Linda about stuff. And we, we talk about everything. We vet stuff. Now, sometimes I don't tell Linda things because it'll hurt her feelings. Somebody said something about her or somebody said something about me and she feels like she needed to take care of it. So sometimes I don't tell her things because sometimes it's just people being petty and they don't need to know what was said. All right. Um, but I mean, even that doesn't happen very often. Linda's got tough skin. She doesn't, she can handle it. But, um, but I, yeah, I talk about everything, and I expect our spouses to be talking about, the board spouses to be talking about stuff. But here's the thing, is if you think your spouse cannot keep it um, in- integral, and they do talk or they do gossip, then you can't tell them. But that's your call. That's not my call. And here's the thing, is if that's who they are and they're talking and everything, you need to really second guess who you are as, as a board member. Because if your spouse is out there gossiping and talking and sharing um, private information that we're talking about in the board, then you're not being a spouse that you're supposed to be. Because you should be saying to them, don't do that. Stop that. Right? You understand what I'm saying? So, so all of that's part of the same subject. But guys, there is, there is certain lines that we can cross, and we know we're gossiping. We're saying things. It's not healthy. Okay, now, let me go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let me, let me walk down through this. This is, um, th- this is uh, shortly, before, um, shortly before Moses dies. Okay? Um, in fact, God takes him up on top of the mountain and shows him the land. But he doesn't let him enter this. It's the promised land, right? He doesn't, doesn't let him enter the promised land. In fact, this was one of those moments when I was in Israel that I hadn't really put the, ge- the uh, geography together about all this. And I'm floating in the Dead Sea. That's very much south of Jerusalem, very much. A couple hours south of Jerusalem, okay? And I'm floating in the Dead Sea, and um, our guide is, is floating there beside me, and he and I are just talking about things. And he says, you understand, he points to the mountain that is up behind me, on that mountainside right there. He says, you understand that that mountain range right there is the mountain range that Moses was standing on when he looked into the promised land but was not allowed to enter. I was like, you're right. And put it in my head, geographically, you're right. Okay, this is, this is right at the end. And Moses says here in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 4, Now Israel, listen carefully to these decrees and regulations that I'm about to teach you. Obey them so that you may live. Guys, this, this is so important. And I know I talked a little bit about this Sunday when I talked about the fear of God a, a little bit. I think this is important. We really like our Americanized Christianity. We really like having no rules, boundaries, or guidelines. I mean, we know we got some rules, but let's all just love each other and get along and sing 
kumbaya Allah, and, and we'll all grow close to the Lord. Except for the fact that many, many, many times, I would say dozens upon dozens, if not hundreds of times in Scripture, the Lord says, obey me. Do what my word says. And then it says, and then these things will happen. But the qualifier is always obey the Lord. There is such a thing as his law. There is such a thing as morality. Moral law. Okay, let, let, me, let me go back to the, um, to the um, tax thing. No, let me go back to the immigration thing. Do I think it is morally wrong for people to come into the United States from other countries? No, not at all. I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. My problem is, is there's a law about that. You've got to go by the law. Okay. And another thing is, once, the, once uh, uh, an immigrant's in the country, then they also need to be legalized. Why? Because they need to pay taxes. Why? Because I've got to pay taxes. That's why. There you go. All right, so... Yeah, the, the reality is, is all people in America get free things. That's taxes pay for that. You drive on roads, taxes pay for that. There's a lot of stuff taxes pay for. It. And everybody, if you're if you're going to be in the country, then be a part of the country, pay taxes. Okay. So, do I think it's morally wrong to be in the country? No, not at all. But it is morally wrong to break a law. You see the difference, okay? So God says these are my laws, these are my decrees and my regulations. Are you going to break them? Are you not going to, that's not what he says, but I'm asking the question. Do we break them or do we not break them? Do we see them as serious? Or do we not see them as serious? When Jesus says, pay your taxes, do we get to choose whether we pay our taxes or are we obligated to pay our taxes? As a Christian, we're obligated. Why? Because that's the law. Obey the laws of the land. Scripture says that. All right. Obey them so that you may live. Now, that's another caveat there. This isn't just obey them so that you get, you know, roads and street signs. This is says obey God's laws, and some of God's laws say obey your country's laws. And he says obey the laws so that you may live. That's huge. So you may enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you. Do not add or subtract from these commands I'm giving you. Don't make up your own. Just Obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you. Don't change them. Just obey them. You can't change God's laws. Now, you can change America's laws. Right? Here's one that I... Well, two easy ones off the top of my head. I believe that abortion is morally wrong, but it is legal. So does that mean as a Christian, I can commit abortion? No. Even though the law says... You say, well, you're supposed to obey the law. Yeah, but it doesn't say I have to have abortions. Here's another one that I think is not only stupid, but I think there's a moral contingent here is making marijuana legal. I think it is, it is morally harming our country. Okay? Um, but it's legal. Well, guess what? They're going to start making other drugs legal eventually. They're going to make... They're, they're gonna, they're going to make all kinds of drugs that should be, at the very least, prescription only, and they're going to start making them over the counter, or some very hard drugs, and they're going to say, well, it doesn't matter. We won't. And there's countries around the world already that do this, you understand that, that, that you can take drugs. Heroin. You, you, there are countries right now that they will give you heroin and give you a place to have your high um, so that you don't break the law. They are looking at that? 
That, the, the Seattle one doesn't surprise me. The Denver one surprises me a little bit. But, but yeah, I mean, so... And here's the thing with that. So we're going to help these people stay in their drug-addicted state just so that we, so we'll protect them. Guys, there's part of the reason that we do legislate morality because it will push you away from those things. Here's one thing. If you take those drugs and you're not supposed to, we will put you in detox and in prison and you will stay there and guess what? Theoretically, you will get off those drugs, except you can get drugs in prison, but you understand what I'm saying. There's reasons for laws and doing this stuff. Okay. Um, do not add or subtract from these commands I'm giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you. You saw for yourself what the Lord did to you at Baal Peor. Do you guys know what happened there? It's, it's, you'd have to look it up. But here's, here's what happened at Baal Peor. In fact, it was named Baal Peor for this. reason was um, uh, all of these guys, this, this was earlier in Moses' um, rule as, as the judge over the people. And all of these um, Israelites or Hebrew people started taking all of these um, uh, people from all these other countries and religious mentalities and, and uh, just sleeping around with them. And then they started serving their gods and all this stuff, and God kept saying, this is wrong. First, the immorality of the fornication is wrong. And, and because of that immorality of the fornication, you're drawn into the spiritual side, and now you're uh, serving their gods and everything else. And in one particular moment, this guy goes out and takes this girl and brings her in. Moses is standing there before the people and preaching and praying over the people and judging the people and doing all this stuff. And while he's doing it, um, uh, Aaron and one of the guys that were serving as a priest for this, they see this guy take this girl into his tent to, to have uh, sex with her in his tent. And she was an a idol worshiper. And so the, one of the priests that was working with Aaron, he takes a spear and runs into the tent and spears them while they're having sex. It says it goes through him and through her, which means they're together, right? It's not like, doop, doop, you know. Okay, so, so he spears them both. Uh, through that, and then God judges the people, and the plague was running across the land, and over 24,000 people died, but when that priest speared that person, it stopped because everybody got the fear of the Lord, and they repented. And he says, remember when that happened? 24,000 people died. Remember when that happened? Guys, this is something that's been so strong in my spirit as of late. It is, I, I believe, and I've never been one of these kind of guys that, that really preach this so much. I believe it, but I think some guys overdo the preaching side for, for personal gain and stuff like that. But I do believe that God is going to judge us as a nation. I've always felt strongly about that, but I think it's just in my spirit. Maybe it's just rising up in my spirit right now, but I think it is getting so bad in our country right now, so bad. And, and God is going to judge us. Um, this is just one little thing. I, I just came into my mind. Um, Stan LeBond uh, posted something on, on uh, Facebook, I think is where I saw it. But it's called The Swamp. Has anybody seen this? It's a series, like a five-part series called The Swamp. And it's all of these congressmen and senators that they're interviewing about how corrupt um, the Congress and the Senate is. And these guys are the fringe guys because they're trying to stay not corrupt. And they're telling you how to do this. To be on a, one guy, he reads it, he says, to be on this committee, which is a, a, there's A, B, and C categories. C is the smallest kind of category. 
He said, I wanted to be on the C category, which was a veterans affairs category. But the reason it's a C category is because it doesn't generate money. It doesn't matter that it's very important. It doesn't generate money. So it's a C committee is what it's called. He said, I want to be on that C committee. Uh, and they sent him a letter that says, if you will pay $300,000, you can be on that committee. And he said, that's one of the cheapest committees there is in, in Washington. The only way you can get that money is you go to lobbyist and, and you sell your soul to lobbyist for the money. And these guys are just giving example after example, showing paperwork, doing all this stuff. And they said, you know what? We say this stuff all the time and nobody understands it. Nobody knows it. Nobody cares. But one of the guys, he said, when I first got to Washington, they had an indoctrination for us. That's not what they call it. They call it an incoming com committee party or something like that. And he said within two weeks of getting to Washington as a, as a uh, freshman congressman, they all sat down and said, you will do what we say or you will never have any authority or control in Washington. And you will do it how we say it and you will give us lots of money, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. He said I, almost two weeks as a congressman, he said I almost quit. He said it made me sick to my stomach. One of them was Ken Buck. Yeah. Yeah, Ken Buck fights against all this stuff. He's, he's one of the guys that they interview. There's about 10 of them, but he's one of them. And, and the sad part is, is this, is this is just the norm in our country. And I think it was Ken, it might have been a different one, that said, if you do this at state politics, you go to jail. If you do it at national politics, you get more power. Guys, our country's corrupt. Our country is corrupt in so many levels, so many ways. And, and God's going to judge us for this. Rick and I have talked about, even within the chaplaincy ranks in the military, how he gets pressure if he declares the name of Jesus. And if he says to somebody something like, um, this is not a healthy lifestyle for you, it's going to hurt you, it's going to hurt your family, it's gonna, he, can be, he can be attacked for that. When all he's trying to do is help somebody. But it is so messed up. Guys, somewhere, somewhere God's laws have to be in charge. He said, you saw for yourself what the Lord did. There the Lord your God destroyed everyone who had worshipped Baal, the God of Peor. But all of you who were faithful to the Lord your God are still alive today, every one of you. That's a powerful truth. Serve God and you can live. Obey his commands, as he said earlier, and you will live. You understand this is not necessarily live according to society. He's saying live according to God. Obey God's commands. Look, I now teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me so that you all may obey them in the land that you're about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely. And you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? I've thought about this over the last 10, 12 years, how silly we have looked around the world. How silly we have looked. The greatest superpower the world has ever seen and our president would bow down to other kings and apologize to them, to them for America. How stupid we have looked. We wrapped up, what was it, $105 billion of cash in a plane. It took the major chunk of a plane and we sent it to Iran so that they could what? Build a nuclear bomb. That's why we did it. But the agreement was, well, don't build a nuclear bomb. Okay, we're going to send you 100, I think it was 105 or 150 billion or something. 150 billion, 
but don't build a bomb. And we made them sign a piece of paper. Don't build a nuclear bomb. And we give them $150 billion. $400 billion. I know it was billion. Whatever it was, it was billion. It was billions. They showed stats of it going. They were doing it with, this was in cash. They were putting it on the plane in, with, with um, forklifts, pallets full of cash. And, but we made them sign a piece of paper. Don't build a nuclear bomb. And the rest of the world laughs at us. They laugh. Because we are so stupid. We're so caught up in our own goofiness. And then we, 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 we have these goofy fights across the country of LGBT and all this. You know, most countries around the world laugh at our LGBT parades. They think we're idiots. They're like, really? That's what you're doing? Okay. How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation? For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to whomever we call on him. And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as this body of instructions that I'm giving you today? One of the reasons that, that so many people from around the world have wanted to come to America is because of our rule of law, because of the opportunities that we provide, because of our rule of law. In many other countries, you, they, somebody can put you in jail and that's it. That's just it. Pastors can be put in jail in many other countries and they're going to rot there. Because there's no judicial or legislative system that will allow them any freedoms to be able to do anything about it. And Christians are put in jail all the time, and you can just stay there. For the most part, at least it used to be, it's getting worse and worse. Our country is built upon a, on a system of laws that came from where? The Bible. America's law system was built on the Bible. And people used to be amazed at America's judicial system, and we're constantly turning it more and more into craziness. It's already getting late, so I'm not going to finish it. But, but uh, I would say read down to verse 14. That's where I was going to get to with this. Um, and we may, what is next week? We may finish this up next week. I have to think about what we're doing. I think we can. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're not going to do it next week. Um, but to think about this, the more I kept reading this, and I was reading through Deuteronomy. I know people say, you know, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus, all those they're boring or whatever. There's some powerful stuff in all those books. I know I, know I say sometimes, oh, you know, they're boring. Or but there's some powerful stuff because all of the things that we take as Christians today that are our rules and laws were built in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, specifically um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, okay? Well, Exodus too, but, but some. But Deuteronomy is basically where we get a lot of our laws. And a lot of the what things that Jesus talks about that he came to fulfill are in Deuteronomy. And he's saying, look, if you want to live, obey my laws. I, I've said this before for people to think about in just a pragmatic sense. Here's, here's pragmatism. The Lord says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. You say, well, if I want to have an affair with my neighbor's wife, I'll have an affair with my neighbor's wife. And then the, the old saying, you know, um, Guns don't kill people. Um, jealous husbands, when they come home and catch their wives having an affair, kill people. So let's look at just that one law. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Let me put a little parenthetical statement. Or you might get killed for it. I know that sounds silly, but isn't that basically, that's kind of common sense? 
There's so many things that we just, well, you know, I want to live the life the way that I want to. I, I talk with this. I had a guy sit in my office. This is years ago. I sat in my office. Um, I, I met with him multiple times. And, uh, in fact, a lot of it got spiritual. He, he was possessed. We cast demons out of this guy. I mean, it was pretty crazy quite a few times. But um, he was sitting in my office one time, and he just wanted to get off meth, wanted to get off meth. I said, how bad do you want to get off meth? I can check you into a rehab right now. Our church will pay for it. We'll check into rehab today. The eyes get big. Wait a second. Why? He's not sure he wants to get off meth. I want to get off meth, but I don't know about today. It's, it's crazy how we can convince ourselves this is good for us. Have you, ever, have you ever sat and talked with somebody that's on meth? The fact that they have no teeth in their mouth. They're, they're off in zombie land somewhere. They're looking right in your eyes, and they don't, they're not anywhere near. And they think, this is good. And this guy had lost his wife, lost his family, his children. He had lost his job. He had a good job. He had all this stuff. And now he's living in his car so he can just get the next meth uh, um, hookup. I'm thinking, this is what you wanted? This is your goals? Obey the laws of the Lord so you will live all right, so let's pray. How are we going to pray about this? I know I've just been all over the chart with the mentalities here, but like I said, the big picture is what I talked about Sunday, sacredness of God's law, His Word. So how are we going to pray? What's stirring in your heart when you're thinking about this stuff? I believe that. And when I say this, as Christians, we go, yeah, that's true. But I don't think we really, really believe this down to the core of our existence. But if we deserved, if we got what we deserve right now, God would kill us all right now, instantaneously. And, and I know a lot of times we say, no, that's not right. You know, I'm a good person. No, if we got what God, if we got from God what we deserve, God would kill us right now. That's how simple that is. We deserve death. But it's because of God's grace. You deserve death. And his grace and his mercy says, I'm going to forgive you. But then he says, I'm going to forgive you again and again and again. I asked this to teenagers one time. How many times has the Lord forgiven you? You know, they're counting probably 50. Here's, a, here's something to think about. 50 maybe this week, this month. Today? Wow. Al, you want to want to talk to us a little bit here? <laughs> yeah, traffic, traffic, 50 times during traffic. Um, guys, God forgives us because he loves us, and he sent Jesus to die for us because he loves us. But don't confuse his grace and mercy with the lack of, of focus on the fact that he has given us his, his word and his law, and he has told us things to do and not to do. And I think that's where we have to start is, Lord, we're thankful for forgiveness, thankful for forgiveness. Please forgive us. But, Lord, I also want to follow your law. I want to follow your word. No matter what it is, I want to follow your word and be obedient to your word. So let's pray. God, we thank you for you. And, Lord, we, we do say it immediately, Lord, we are humbled 
and amazed by your grace. Lord, we know that, that even Paul said that, that trying to, to live by the letter of the law actually can bring death to our life. Uh, there's, there's so much that that encompasses. But Lord, we also know that we can be obedient to your law because we can fall in love with you. And if we'll fall in love with you, the law won't even be important to us anymore. We'll be so far above it. God, help us to be obedient. Help us to not, help us to not be casual about your word and about your laws. Help us not choose which ones we obey and which ones we don't. God, convict us. Convict us when we, when we think like that. Lord, help us to be who you want us to be in the name of Jesus. Help us to be who you want us to be. We will follow you. We will follow your word. We will follow your decrees. In Jesus' name. So wash us clean. Forgive us. Cover us with your blood. Lord, we thank you for that amazingness and that opportunity. And help us to never forget that too, that, that we are truly under grace. But Lord, help us to have the, the, the duality of that in our spirit, the tension there. It's your law and it's grace both. God, help us to be obedient to your word, but know we are walking in grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you so much. Keep the, the youth safe as they're coming back from youth camp. And um, my wife and Angie and some of the, the ladies that are coming back from the missions trip. And Lord, we just, we just thank you for, for being really big and being able to take care of all of us in here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Man, all righty, I guess they shut down the latte shop, so just got to go home. See ya.